there, you probably noticed a little bit of a grin on our faces and a little bit of sadness. And that is because when we were uh, going through this ahead of time, um, the sound didn't work on that video. So Jason and I had already committed to doing voiceovers for it. And we're a little sad about yeah. it. Yeah. We'll work through it. Bear with us. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. A uh, few things that we want to make you aware of. Uh, there, here we go. Uh, first of all, during Holy Week, we have some devotionals we want to encourage you to participate in. It's super cool throughout the day to see approximate times during Holy Week where Jesus was going through specific things in the Gospels. And so, if you elect to do these devotionals with us, uh, You'll, you'll get a text at specific times when those approximate things were happening along with a devotional thought throughout Holy Week because our, our hope and intention is that we can be purposeful as we prepare for Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, uh, and this is super helpful for that. Speaking of being super helpful, we also have these Easter bags, uh, one per family. Those are in the check-in area uh, in the children's ministry. And we want to encourage you to pick one up per family, not one per person, but one per family. Uh, we, we appreciate that. And there's some great activities for families to do together to have fun, uh, as, again, as we prepare for Easter. And we want to do that very purposefully. And speaking of being purposeful, we're going to ask you to join us as we read some scripture together. Would you stand uh, as Pastor Jason goes to uh, Romans chapter 9. So uh, I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 9, um, verses 19 through 33. Feel free to follow along on the screen. It's not a call and response this morning. It kind of might look like it up there, but feel free to follow along up there or try something new and close your eyes and just hear God's word spoken over you. This is the word of the Lord. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness 
have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling in a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Oh, Father. We, we cling to the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of you. How unsearchable are your judgments and how unscrutable are your ways. Who has known the mind of our Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has been given a gift that he might be repaid? From you, Father, and through you and to you are all things. To you belong the glory forever. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to encounter the God of the universe this morning, that we would know your grace and respond by faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> but uh, I have to say to Jason, I'm not going to listen to his directions anymore because I, I closed my eyes and almost fell off the stage. So... Uh, that might be on me. Now we're uh, we're we're excited. I hope you've had a great week. You had a great week. Thanks. Good to hear. Let's try it again. You had a great week. Yeah. Good. Good. Much better. Um, it's. I'll just tell you. It is a great week for. I love. I love this week of the year. Uh, in Indiana, we call it the High Holy Days uh, because of basketball. And March Madness, and we just we love it. Like uh, it's, I have this year. I only have four brackets that uh, I'm in, and they were busted within you know like five games. But I love this time of year. It's it's just it's just a lot of fun. Not just in terms of basketball, but everything that has happened this week. And and sometimes I I get teased for uh, being a Hoosier, and it's like yeah, well. You can, you can take the boy out of Indiana, but it's hard to take Indiana out of the boy. And uh, that, that is certainly true in this case as we've, as we've been uh, watching a lot of basketball and enjoying it. But in particular, I want to talk about St. Patrick's Day. It's, it's my third favorite holiday. I know it's weird to score them like that, uh, but, but I do. And it's my third after uh, Christmas and after Easter is St. Patrick's Day. And you're about to find out why. So as we jump into this, uh, would you join me as, as we pray? And I just, I just again, want to consecrate our time to the Lord. I want to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. If, you feel, if you've been here, you'll notice that we sometimes just kind of go through this consecration uh, from, our, from our mind to our eyes to our nose to our ears to our, uh, our mouth, our hands, our feet. And, and walk through this as we consecrate our time dedicating ourselves to the Lord, if you would be willing to join me as I lead us in that. Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you. We consecrate our minds to you, Lord, that we would think on you, 
We consecrate our eyes to you that we would see you at work around us and in us and through us. We consecrate our nose to you, O Lord, that sin would smell like death and that the aroma of Christ would be present as we walk in faith. We consecrate our ears to you, O Lord, that we would hear your word and respond in faith to you. We consecrate our mouths to you, O Lord, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and that our words would be words of life, fitting and true to your word. Lord, we consecrate our hands to you, that we would serve you and that through us you would serve others. We consecrate our feet to you, O Lord, that we would be quick to follow you and obey where you lead us to go. We consecrate our lives to you, O Lord, that we would be a a holy, living sacrifice, pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Maywin was just a teenager when it all started to happen, but if he were being honest, he would say it started way before then. His Dad was a serve, uh, served in the local church, and his grandpa was a pastor in the church. <clears throat> but he wasn't really that interested. Maven didn't really like what was happening in church. Uh, it was kind of boring, and it really didn't please his flesh very much. And so, coming from a wealthy family, he was able to spend money on uh, drink and food and women and partying, and he enjoyed himself a lot. But to say he was interested in the things of God would simply not be true. But Maywin lived in a time that is different than our time, and some raiders came into the area, and they took Maywin and others back to their land. And Maywin became a slave, not having access to the privilege that he had in his own home. Things had changed. He was stuck going out into the field and caring for animals and property in ways that he wasn't accustomed and in ways that he was accountable. Many long days, cold and isolated, he could have spent just asking the question, how can this be? But he didn't. In those places, he met God uniquely and began to pray. Simple prayers at first, and one prayer became a hundred prayers And then he would repeat it in the evening and at night. And so literally, Maywin would pray hundreds of times per day throughout the day as he was a slave in the house of a master who was not gracious, who was not kind, and didn't afford him many opportunities. But God met him. And one day in a vision, uh, God spoke to him about returning uh, to his homeland And it's one thing to get a vision, it's another thing to believe it. And shortly thereafter, he got a vision that said, it is time. Traversing the land nearly 200 miles, he finds his way to the shore and finds a boat that miraculously he's able to board. Uniquely making his way back to his homeland and into his home six years later. He's now in his early 20s, looks a little different and acts a lot different than he had. After spending some time with his family, he becomes, it becomes very clear to him that Christian education is what he needs. He felt very ignorant and, and in his own words, dumb for not knowing God's word very well. And so 
uh, he was sent off to be educated, recognizing that he had been gone for some time for his family to send him off to do this was at a sacrifice to them. But he came back uh, after his education, and after that education, again spent some time uh, in prayer. And in the midst of his prayer, one evening, a vision came to him about returning to the people that had enslaved him, desiring to be obedient to the God that had called him. He changed his name from Maywin to Patrick and went back to Ireland. It's in those places that he confronted Druid priests and chiefs, sons of kings. And it was in those places that he, standed, he stood firm with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are sinners, we need a savior, that God came in the flesh, that he conquered sin and death, rose from the grave and gives life to anybody who would call on him. And he was faithful to that call, not just to evangelize, but also to train others to do so. Maywin died uh, in the year 461 on March 17th, which is why March 17th is when we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. But another piece of the puzzle that you may not be aware of is this, that the disciples of uh, Patrick grew the Celtic church. The Celtic church was known for several things, uh, but two in particular. Their evangelization and the creativity that they used in communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're familiar with uh, the three-leaf clover and how Patrick used that as an identifier of the Trinity and communicated some mysteries of the church through nature. <clears throat> this became a part of who the church was. And within a few hundred years, the disciples in Ireland had completely driven paganism away, specifically Drew, uh, the Druids, uh, not by might and force, but simply through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Missionaries from Ireland went back into Europe and began to do the same things in Europe. Shortly thereafter, those disciples began to be uh, persecuted for their faith that wasn't as Romanized as what the authorities believed it should be. And so, again, within a few hundred years after that, so now we're, we're uh, 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 nearly a thousand years later, the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of the disciples now uh, leave Europe and go to what we would know now as the colonies. What I'm saying is that the colonies in part began with an inherited faith that came all the way back uh, to Patrick. Part of the reason uh, that, uh, that we see evangelism emphasized so much in our faith practice is because what's been inherited, certainly we see it in scripture, but we saw that inherited uh, by, uh, by the disciples of Patrick. Additionally, the educational piece that you see within churches, especially in the West, and, and how churches really began to start uh, colleges and seminaries in the colonies is in part inherited because of what God did through Patrick. Patrick could have stood back and said, why is this happening to me when he was a young man and uh, taken away from his family? 
But instead, he leaned into the sovereignty of God. And in part, you and I have been affected and infected with the gospel because of his faith. I want to suggest that uh, that what Jesus did in the life of Patrick is in part a temple, uh, a template uh, for what we see in Romans chapter 9 as we walk through it together. First of all, identifying some main points and then walking through some application points. In the midst of walking through those application points, I'm going to refer to Patrick's own words. He wrote a book called Confessions. If you've never read Patrick's book on confessions, it is his firsthand account of his life and ministry, and I would encourage you to take some time to read it. It, it won't take long. Uh, but we're going to jump into this together today and identify the main points from the text. The first one is God's sovereignty. We started last week in addressing God's sovereignty, and we said this, basically, God is in control. Now, we recognize that there are some people who have argued if God is in control and he is sovereign and he moves people where he wants them, then there's no such thing as free choice. But as we look at the scriptures, we see that, that actually we, we have a responsibility uh, to be accountable for our actions. So God is sovereign and God moves people and nations into places where he wants them for a purpose and also we are accountable for our actions. Both seem true in the scriptures and are not divided as two separate ideas. Additionally, in this passage, we're going to deal with uh, salvation. Though the term salvation doesn't come out as such, it is implied in this passage when it deals with things of uh, righteousness and faith and election. And those things uh, those things ultimately point us towards salvation. So we're going to walk through those together. Uh, recognizing God's sovereignty. If God is sovereign, then he is doing things on purpose. And specifically, his creation is on purpose. God creates with purpose. So all of creation that exists in front of us, around us, beyond us, all creation is created with purpose. It, does, it did not happen by accident. And, and I, I want to tell you a, uh, a, a principle that I think is from hell. And hang in there with me as I explain it, because for some of you, it is an assumed truth. And the principle is evolution. It's, it's, not, it's not evolution per se, but the foundation of evolution that is problematic. The foundation of evolution, if I can speak in very simple terms, is this. Oops, it was an accident. Uh, these things that happened randomly, or things that happened randomly, suddenly came together, and from nothing, something. And from that something, this evolved, um, uh, these evolved amoebas, right, just suddenly become us. Again, I recognize I'm oversimplifying but I'm simplifying for this point. That in, foundationally, in evolution, there is no purpose. It's all random. Why you're here, what you're doing. Now, if that is true, where does that lead? And that's the problem that I think is evil and is rooted in hell. And, and that's this. If there is no purpose, it doesn't matter. And why am I here? And who cares that I'm here? And who cares what I do? 
and what I do. It doesn't matter. And that's at the foundation of evolution. And that's the problem with it. So it's very important for us to identify with respect to creation that God creates with purpose. It's not random. You're not accidentally here. You're here purposefully. As we identified last week, I said, uh, does anybody believe that God has a purpose for you? And nearly everyone in the room raised their hand or nodded or, or you know, gave the thumbs up kind of thing. And then I said, for that to be true, if we go back just 35 generations, uh, nearly, uh, I think the number was like 34 billion or something like that, uh, 36 billion, some, somewhere in there, 36 billion people directly in line with you needed to be in the right place at the right time, uh, come together, have children for you to be here. And God did it on purpose. Like, that's not random. That's purposeful. He creates with purpose. And we see that throughout the passage, uh, specifically in verses 19 through 21. Oh, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Speaking of God. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What is molded, uh, will, what is molded, say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Uh, so the, the problem is, or the issue rather, is purpose. We were created with purpose. Not, not just random, but very purposeful. About 10 years ago, a Hollywood actor was interviewed who is a known atheist. And the interviewer said, well, when you die, just suppose that you meet God. What would you say to him? And he said, I would look at him and I would say, you have a lot to explain. Like, he's got this order kind of mixed up. Here we see very clearly that, that God creates with purpose and has a plan, and we are under the creator. B, he has the right to determine purpose. God has the right to determine purpose. The gift set that you have, uh, the abilities that you have, God, God created those on purpose, and he has a plan in that purpose. Ultimately, by the way, that plan is to glorify him. Many catechisms begin uh, with teaching the student, what is the chief purpose of humankind? To glorify God is the answer. To glorify God. So we know that we are created on purpose, gifted uniquely with abilities that we can glorify God. You are able to do that. You are able to do that. You are able to. The reason that you don't have other gifts and abilities is because God knows what he's doing. He has the right to determine purpose. And then thirdly, as God's creation, we have purpose. So people have purpose. It's not just this general purpose that people are created for, but very specifically, we individually have purpose. And we see that laid out throughout the passage, whether we're talking about the movement of nations or the individuals within those nations, God has a purpose in it. And when we extend uh, uh, our, our view of the scriptures beyond Romans 9, we look into places like Acts chapter 17, and we see that God is very specific in moving people into places that they would hear the gospel and know the God who created them. And that was done on purpose. And so it's important. 
Now, you may be struggling with that. You may be going, oh, I don't know what God has for me. I, here's what I do know. You are here right now on purpose. God has something for you. You are here right now on purpose. God has something for you and wants to use you for his glory. He has a purpose and a place for you in this. And in this moment, right now, I know that that is true because that's, that's what the scriptures teach, that he is sovereign. We have accountability, but he is sovereign. And in this moment, we can, uh, uh, we can stand firm on those truths. Additionally, uh, this passage lends not just to God's sovereignty, but also the issue of salvation, so that we're saved. Oftentimes, people get stuck on this, on this question, what must I do? And, and to a certain degree, that's necessary. But it's also very clear in this passage that what we do is very little as opposed to what God does. So, God is not exclusive to national identity. Uh, verses 24 through 31 lend itself to God's plan. Remember, Israel is uniquely separated from all other nations to worship God. Not, not, not just to worship God, but to also point all nations back to this God that they worship. There are unique things that happen, unique laws that happen within uh, Israel that they're supposed to practice that are distinct and separate from the nations around them. And a part of the reason that that is true and that they were to do that was so that the nations around them could see this God and in the right time respond to him. And that brings us to the second point. God's salvation has always demanded faith. Sometimes people will make these kind of comments. Well, in the Old Testament, it was based on works. They had to have these sacrifices, and they had to do them this way, and they had to do them that way uh, for them to be saved. And that actually is not true. That literally is not true. There were actions that they were commanded to do and expected to do. That, is, that part is true, but that didn't earn their salvation. What we read in verses 32 and 33 is, is that faith is where uh, salvation comes from. Let me just highlight that real quick, starting in verse 31. Uh, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, and, and I'll save that last verse for a little later. But the idea, again, is they did these things, the stuff, but they didn't ever trust, they didn't ever, in cases, in some cases, they didn't trust uh, God to be their salvation. These things, this stuff, only pointed to the fact that God is the one who supplies the salvation, uh, who is our salvation. And so, with that framework, I wanted to walk through some application points. So what's the impact on us specifically? It's really great that, that those things are true, but if we just stop right now in this spot, then all we get is this head knowledge, this ability to perhaps even understand some theological concepts. But that's not the Christian walk. That's not all of the Christian walk. If we stop with just head knowledge, we're no different than the Gnostics who came before us who said, yeah, well, all we really need is to know this information and we're saved. We're good. And others just need to know this information and we're saved and good. Uh, that's informational. 
It's Gnosticism or modern-day Gnosticism. We're not interested in that. We want to follow the Lord and follow him wholeheartedly. So let's, let's look at, at a, a few places here. First application point based on this passage, understanding the sovereignty of God, and I'm going to add this to it, gives security. Understanding the sovereignty of God gives security. Gives security. Uh, what does that mean? Well, as I said earlier, here's what we know. In this moment, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. In this moment. Uh, assuming you're not sinning purposefully. Uh, assume, assuming that your, your desire is uh, to be consecrated to the Lord, as we talked about earlier. Assuming those things are true. You are here on purpose, and God has something for you. If you are actively sinning, part of, part of what God has for us is to repent, right? Uh, if you are not actively uh, sinning, part of what God has for you and immediately is to glorify Him. Let me give you some passages. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans of the mind of, of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That God is sovereign, and we can rest and stand firm in that place. There is security knowing that he's sovereign. And in those places where we get sick, where bad things happen, we can stand in those places in security knowing God's still in control. He didn't go, oh, wait a minute, uh, who got elected? Oh, oh, wait a minute, what, what's happening? Oh, wait a minute, who got sick? Like, that's not what God's doing. We can stand firm, or we can stand in the security of knowing that God is sovereign. Not just that, but there is a call in this passage to embrace humility, that God is in control, and it turns out that we are not. God is in control, and it turns out that we are not. Uh, some examples of that in Scripture. James chapter 4 Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Uh, Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, God has a lot to say about pride and falling because of pride. But the humble, God, God blesses, God ministers to. And I would add this, embracing humility allows us to walk with God. Embracing humility allows us to walk with God. So, let's go back to the story of Patrick. Maywin has escaped his captors. He has come back home. He has been educated. After his education, he returns to the house of his father. In the house of his father, he receives a dream. And uh, in his writings, confession, he says this, and on the last night when I was with them, I dreamt I saw a man coming as it, were, as it were from Ireland. His name was Victoricus, and he carried many letters, and he gave me one of them. I read the heading, The Voice of the Irish. And as I began reading it, I seemed at that moment to hear the voice of those who were beside the forest, which is near the western sea. And they were crying as if with one voice, We beg you, holy youth, that you shall come and shall walk again among us. And I was stung intensely in my heart, so that I could read no more. 
And thus I awoke. Thanks be to God, because after so many years, the Lord bestowed on me according to their cry. In other words, God knew something that Patrick didn't know, Maywin in this case. And, and that's specifically that they needed the gospel. They're worshiping as Druids, but they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because Maywin had learned the language, because Maywin had learned the, co- the culture, God uniquely and specifically calls him back into it. However, he could have said this. They enslaved me. And that's not fair and that's not right. And how could a good and loving God call me back to those captors? How could God do that? But that's not his response. Maywin recognizes that God is in control of his creation. And he loves his creation. And he gives them purpose And he calls them to himself. And walking in humility, he's allowed to walk with God in a very significant way. We'll flesh that out in a minute. Thirdly, trusting in God's mercy. Trusting in God's mercy, let me add this, keeps us rightly dependent on God. So, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. You catching that? The wages of sin is death. That's what I do deserve because I've sinned. You have sinned. I even heard Pastor Matt one time sinned. It's true. (laughs) We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. Separation from God completely and utterly. But trusting in God's mercy allows us to rightly depend on God because then it doesn't become, I have earned this position because I am so good. I am doing these things. I am able to do this, this stuff, have this, uh, this vacation, get these type of things because I am so good. I'm rewarded at work because I am so good. That's actually the opposite of humility, and that specifically doesn't allow us to trust in God's mercy. We recognize, nope, what what we deserve is separation from God. What we're getting is mercy, and I need to depend on God in those places of mercy. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Or in Titus 3.5, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That, that sounds like his work, not my work. That, that's, that sounds like my, my trust in him, not my trust in me. Trusting in God's mercy keeps us rightly dependent on God. And that is certainly true for Patrick as he leaves his home and family and goes back to Ireland. And when he does that, I want you to consider the reality of his situation. When he goes back to Ireland, who is he seeing? He's seeing the Irish people that enslaved him. He, he actually at one point goes looking for uh, his, uh, his, his master to give the gospel. In the midst of that, he comes across very powerful and very strong and real Druid priests. Additionally, and tied to the Druid priesthood, were some of these chiefs 
who believed that that's where they got their power. And Patrick is challenging that and saying that's not true and that's not the power we should be seeking. And that's the confrontation that he has. But it makes him depend on God. And he says in his own words, the Lord delivered us from their hands by his own miraculous power. So once he got there, they got him again. Oh, thanks for coming back. We got a place for you. As a slave. And I, unworthy though I am, am bold enough to say that I became a useful servant of God in the midst of them. So he saw his uh, place of servitude not to the people but to God. And I humbly recommend to all who believe and fear God that they never undertake a journey for the gospel's sake with any other motive than a desire to save souls. In other words, he didn't go there to plant a bunch of churches to become a bishop of an area so everybody could go, wow, uh, there's, there's uh, Patrick, we should have a day after him and drink beer. That wasn't his goal. That's not why he went there. He went there to save souls. For the Lord himself will take, will take care of those who work for his glory and never permit them to be tempted beyond what they are able. And then he goes on to say, When I baptized so many thousands of men and women, did any of you ever hear me speak of money or worldly goods? Ever since I came among you, I have spent all my time preaching to you and instructing you in the ways of righteousness, in spite of the opposition and the insults of the Druid priests and the chiefs of the country. He, he didn't go there to get their... Um, to get their recommendations. He didn't go over there to get thumbs up, right? He didn't go there to get likes and hearts. That, that wasn't his intention, but he did want to save souls. Uh, and he wanted the Lord to use him, and he had a call to do that, and he purposefully went, and despite those challenges, uh, Patrick was able to trust in God's mercy. And because he trusted in God's mercy, he rightly depended on God and not his position and things. Which, by the way, sure reminds me of Jesus, doesn't you? God in the flesh who came to set the captives free. Finally, living in faith. Living in faith keeps us faithful. The term faith, at least in the New Testament, can often, if, if, you, wanna, if you want like a concrete idea or concept, it's faithful. So faith equals faithful. We, we do these things, we uh, because we want to be faithful. We want to honor God in the things that we do. We're trusting God and being faithful in our activities. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. James 2.17, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, it's not just a heady, lofty theology that we have, but there are actions associated with it, not so that we earn our salvation, but because we love God. Hebrews 10.39 says, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We see this faith lived out in the life of Patrick and that faith that's lived out helps to keep him faithful. He says, I came to the Irish people to preach the gospel and to suffer insults from the unbelievers. 
bearing the reproach of my going abroad and my persecutions even to bonds and chains. But by these things I am instructed, and because of them I am ready not to spare my life, even unto death, for the sake of my God. He's going to remain faithful no matter what happens in his world. No matter what is said to him, no matter the chains that's put on him, or even if it costs him his life. He wants to be faithful. And it is the call of the Christian today because it is the model of Christ himself who is willing to come in the flesh, who is willing to die on the cross for my sins and your sins, who conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, and extends life to anybody who would call on him. Patrick is one example of thousands and thousands and thousands of believers who have chosen uh, to follow God in his sovereignty. They were willing to give their lives no matter what the cost. And I wonder if we, are, if we have inherited that sort of faith. As we prepare our hearts for communion, it's important for us to consider a few questions I'll go through quickly here. In what ways do I need to humble myself before God? How can I grow in my understanding of his wisdom and ways? So uh, are, are we living lives that are, that are humble before the Lord? How can I extend the mercy that God has shown me to others? What are some practical steps I can take to show love and compassion to those around me? I want to encourage you, tomorrow is relational evangelism class in Prior Lake. Relational evangelism begins this week with showing how do I share my faith? What, like, what words do I use? What scriptures do I use? And then we're going to give an opportunity to go out and share our faith. We're going to do it together. If, that, if you go, okay, I, I'm going to go, but I don't know if I can talk to anybody, that's okay. We'll ask you to pray. Uh, but you'll be a part of a team that's going out. That's a great opportunity. If you go, whoa, relational evangelism isn't, I'm not there yet. Well, then how about today? You share your testimony and the gospel with your family. How about, how about today? Maybe share it with a friend who comes over or you engage with. Uh, either face-to-face or online. Faith. How is faith demonstrated in my life? What steps can I take to strengthen my faith, my faithfulness, and rely more on the wisdom and guidance of God? That's the challenge. At Friendship Church, uh, we practice open communion, meaning you need to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, but you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church. We also give opportunity for people to have just kind of a quiet time to reflect. Is there any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed in my heart? And if so, to confess it with our mouth, we confess to you, Lord, our sin, and repent. That means turn away and turn to God. And then we, uh, you're free to participate. And how we ask you to start that participation is to come down the carpeted areas to the stations nearest you, and then to return on the outside aisle back to your seat. Wait for everyone to be served, and then Pastor Jason will lead us in a time of communion where we participate together. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we love you, and we thank you. Thank you that your word is true and that you are good. We want to understand your sovereignty and live in your security. Lord, we, we need to 
like Patrick, like, like so many other saints, and just like Jesus modeled, we need to embrace humility that we would walk with you, to trust in your mercy and stay rightly dependent on you, and to live in faith, that we would remain faithful to what you've called us to. We love you, and we thank you this day, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name.